Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode number 101 of Real Blend, a podcast that now has its very own intro music, as you guys have heard, and only one person on social media pointed out that we had music. They were like, oh, is this part of the real, uh, the live show for 100? No, it's not. It's official. We have it now. I've been begging Gabe for it forever, and we finally have intro music. Ah, episode highlights. We are going to talk about the Oscar nominations uh, and all of the fallout from what the Academy decided to go to. We're going to share some Critics' Choice Awards stories. Uh, and then later on, we're playing a blend game that I'm already going to predict is going to be one of my favorite of all time. We're playing hashtag scene blend, and we're going to discuss some of our favorite scenes. My name is Sean O'Connell. I'm the managing director here at Cinema Blend. And as always, I am joined by Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Hello, Jakey. My man, it's been so long. It's been yeah. like... Like, what, like 36 hours since I've seen you? It's, it's I miss you. <laughs> and the last thing uh, we did together was eat in and out which made Kevin McCarthy of Fox oh, Rock yeah. in Washington, D.C. very happy. Hi, Kevin. Yeah, it was awesome. And you would think that Jake always talks so much trash about in and out yet he got two double cheeseburgers and destroyed them. Because one's not enough. Because one's them. not filling enough. And Whataburger, you get a Texas-sized burger, and it's enough. I got to get two to fill me up at in and out Jake secretly loves In-N-Out, and it's, one it's day good. he will I, I, finally admit it. I've never hated it. on In-N-Out. I just think it's vastly overrated, and it takes two burgers of those little Tic Tac things you call burgers to fill me yeah. up. And well, that's because the, that's that's the In-N-Out burgers aren't saturated with a bunch of water. We're not going to get that. That joke yeah. has never been funny. You keep going back to the funny. water joke. It's never been funny. <laughs> it's water burgers. We're not going to get yeah. too far off topic, but I do want to point out that in a way that Kevin's dad said during the live show that the show just exists in the real world, <laughs> and literally the episode episodes are just when we turn the microphones on. Uh, we're at In-N-Out Burger after the Critics' Choice Awards. <laughs> we're way overdressed. We're the most overdressed people in an In-N-Out Burger. Uh, and I approach Jake and Kevin, who are in a heated argument about the menu at In-N-Out, <laughs> not featuring yeah. all of the items. And I was like, yeah. I feel like I'm in the show. It's like, look how simplistic we are. Yeah, it's Except beautiful. for these secret things yeah. that everyone knows about because yeah. they're not really secret. Just put it on the freaking menu no. then. You're not cool because you have a secret menu if everybody knows about it. It's not secret. I just don't understand why water burgers are dripping with water. Why do, why do they, why do they cook them in that? I don't that was the worst joke. Watery. Yeah, I don't understand it's it. It's never right. been funny. It's yeah. time for the weekly poll. Uh, the weekly poll that we posted on our uh, social media page, and if you want to follow us, we are at Real Blend on Twitter, is should we do more live shows in the future? Uh, for people who might not have known, uh, for our 100th episode, we did a live show in Washington, D.C. at the AMC uh, Georgetown 14. Big thank you to AMC Theaters for uh, hosting our location. And it immediately got us thinking, well, that went really well. We had a really good time. Uh, it was amazing interacting with a bunch of new blenders who came out to D.C. to meet us. And we thought, oh, should we do more of those? Well, 12.8% of the people said, nah, <laughs> they didn't really want us to. Which means that 87% of you agreed uh, that... We should do more live shows in the future. So what Gabe would like us to do, producer Gabe, uh, is to solicit feedback. Like, uh, like, what did you guys like about the live show? Uh, what do you think we could improve as we continue to do more events like this going into 2020? Obviously, with the show, we're always looking for ways to evolve it. We're going to be bringing new segments to the show. We're constantly on the hunt for uh, bigger interviews, people that we can get directors, uh, stars, all sorts of talent involved in the movies that you guys care about that we can bring to the show. But as you guys listen to the live show specifically, drop us an email or hit us up on social and let us know what you thought about the show, how it played out. Uh, you can send us emails to realblend at cinemablend.com. 
And we really hope, again, to do something like this in the future and just want to make it the best experience possible. Sean, I've got to tell you, that, that 12%, that was that was my mom and dad. Yeah, they were they were very disappointed that the, the McCarthy's got so much yeah. love, and and they they just want they really hope that twenty twenty is the Hamilton's time. Yeah, Jan and Keith are really upset, and and they uh, they voted all those. Yeah, percentages. what the Heidel they said with yeah. no disrespect to to the McCarthy's who are beautiful people. I'm Team Thank Hamilton. You. I'm Team Hamilton for twenty twenty. <laughs> this is this your Team <laughs> Hamilton. My mom's been nothing but supportive. She's our only fan. How quickly Sean's her. <laughs> oh my God! What just happened? We my parents were there. My dad said something we nice. We stayed at Kevin's house. Team Hamilton. <laughs> what have Jan and Keith done for the show? Come on, what's going on here? <laughs> All right, Oscar. Jill and Joe, come on. Those You've are the not had a chance to do the show since the uh, Academy Awards uh, revealed their selections for the uh, 2020, the upcoming 2020 Oscar nominations. We want to touch on, obviously, we're not going to go beat by beat over every category, but we all talked before the show to pick out uh, things that we want to highlight. And, you know, it, it's mainly going to go to snubs. Um, and so the one I'm going to start with is is one that hit us right off the bat or hit me right off the bat. And, and Jakey, to this point, if you want to even mention the, that you, who you were sitting with at the Critics' Choice, I was kind of stunned that Uncut Gems got completely overlooked. You know, like here's, n- here's the question that I that I asked Kevin before, before you got here, though. Yeah. What did you realistically think it was going to get? Because I honestly thought, like at best, the Safties might get a screenplay nomination. I never really thought Adam was in for actor. Okay. I didn't think that they were in for director. I didn't think they were getting that fifth director spot. I mean, realistic, like, like I, maybe editing, editing, you know, but but editing's usually so tied with best picture. I didn't know for if sure. it was really going to get a best picture nomination. Like, realistically, what did you actually expect it to get? I would have liked to see, uh, like I said, editing. I, I would have liked to see screenplay. Yeah. Um, in, in another year, I could have seen director. Um, In another year, I could have seen Sandler. Not this year, for sure. Yeah, I get it. But but it's just, I'm, I, I, totally overlooked. I, I thought 100 percent it was going to. If you would have said before the Oscars nominations came out, and you would have had me put money on what uncut gems would have gotten, these would have been my 100 percent locks. Sandler for actor. You thought Sandler was 100 percent no lock? Question. I thought he was locked. Yeah, he in. didn't get a SAG no. nomination. He didn't get a he Golden Globe nomination. I know, and that to me was part and of the reason. Choice, we nominate 84 different people, so that doesn't really mean as much. <laughs> but here, here, here's my thought process. Sandler was actually there was a narrative going on uh, from Sandler's interview he did with Howard Stern, and I'm not saying this is this is this is what would have prompted a best actor nomination. But there was a narrative in the media about Adam Sandler. Possibly Possibly getting an Oscar nomination. That would be, that was an actual story. Sure. Um, the idea of it not getting a SAG or a Golden Globe nomination led me to believe that it even had more of a chance to get a Best Actor nomination because you look at why did Argo win Best Picture? Because Affleck did not get a Best Director nomination. It wasn't because it was the best movie of the year. It was because that everybody rallied behind and felt bad because Affleck didn't get nominated. That's my personal opinion on that take. So I I would have thought Best Actor, no question. Picture. For sure, no question, it had a picture chance. Uh, director, I, I, I would argue that was that was uh, out out of left field. Probably not going to happen. Um, I wish it did. Uh, they, they deserve to be there more than Mendez does, but or even uh, Bong Joon uh, Ho. Um, but I, I I think that um, I think that honestly, I think Uncut Gems was probably the biggest snub. And staying with the comedy aspect of it, Sandler and Eddie Murphy, both of those are gigantic snubs. And this goes back to what I've been saying on this show. For a long time, 
comedy will never comedic actors and comedy will never be taken seriously by the Academy. Uh, I know Melissa McCarthy was nominated for Bridesmaids. I get that. But but the idea of comedy has never been taken seriously. That's why I always joke about Dumb and Dumber and films like Happy Gilmore, which are brilliant films, but they're always considered to be bathroom humor movies. So I think Murphy, while it was a comedic performance, it was the best thing he'd done since Study Professor, 100% deserved to be in there. And Sandler, they can't take him seriously because of all the fart jokes he's done over the years on his, on, on his comedy album. So I, I think that there is a bias towards people who are comedic actors, and that's why they didn't get nominated. Well, and that to that end, me. and that speaks a little bit to what I think was another huge snub, which was Jennifer Lopez. Like, the, the Academy but, doesn't but, even... Well, what I'm saying is... No, no, no. What I'm saying is the Academy doesn't necessarily go for an actress who's doing something contemporary. They right. would much rather see a period piece, like look at the best actress category, which I'm going to transition us into. Renee Zellweger for Judy, uh, Cynthia Erivo for Harriet, Saoirse Ronan for Little Women. Now, okay, Scarlett gets it for Marriage Story, but she was uh, head and shoulders, you know, terrific. But why did Scarlett get a supporting actress nomination for Jojo Rabbit? I don't even remember her in that oh, film. Oh, see, no, I, I do think she was I don't remember her in that, in that movie at all. I mean, yeah, I, I, I thought she was pretty great in that. I don't love Jojo Rabbit, though, but. She, yeah, no. she, I don't really like Jojo Rabbit either, but I thought her scenes were fantastic. But okay, She's, but let's, let's be honest, though. J-Lo did not deserve an Oscar nomination for Hustlers. Like you, I'm sorry. I, I get that, people, that we live in a world where people want to give J-Lo yes. an Oscar nomination, but you don't get an Oscar for being J-Lo in a movie right. that's better than J-Lo's movies normally are. Yeah. Hey, like, dear, I'm dear. sorry. Like it's it, like Kathy Bates, I actually think deserved because you could argue Kathy Bates took her spot, right? Yeah. I, mean, I think Florence Kathy Pugh. Bates her, deserved her or, Florence Pugh. or Florence Pugh. I think both of them deserved it way over J-Lo. Okay. If you were if you were going to give J Lo a nomination, you would have given a tour for Selena or Out, Out of Sight. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. But those, she wasn't she wasn't J Lo then. She was still right. Jennifer Lopez. We and and that's the thing. Like Jake and I aren't coming from an idea here that we don't want J Lo to be nominated for an Oscar. We just didn't think that J Lo's performance in Hustlers was Oscar worthy. Yeah. Uh, and has nothing to do with any bias towards J Lo. Uh, I, I I honestly genuinely think and people online get so mad like oh she deserved an award but why. Is it because like Jake just said? Is it because she's Jennifer Lopez? Yes. Is it is it because it creates that narrative? So to me, her not getting nominated, while I I would call it an official snub because everyone predicted it would happen. So technically speaking, it is a snub. But I don't think she should have been nominated for I that. Mean, like, it, because yeah. it's the opposite of what we're saying about Adam Sandler. Because like, yes, I would like to live in a world where Adam Sandler had an Oscar nomination, but he deserved but it. But he deserved it. For, like he put in the performance yep. with Uncut Gems, and you don't think J-Lo she did? did not? No, I, I, you don't I think, think she was good, but like Oscar worthy good? No, no. I think J Lo well, is okay. very good. J Lo is very good in Hustlers, but and this is going to be a completely Oscar dissent- worthy good. No, this is going to be a dissenting opinion. You know who's better than J Lo in Hustlers? Constance Wu. You're absolutely that, right. You're that absolutely right. One hundred better. It's less flashy. It's more internal. It's more of a dramatic performance. It's it's a harder performance, in my okay, personal opinion. Hold on, let me ask a question then. Laura Dern's probably going to win. Is her performance in Marriage Story Oscar worthy? One hundred and thirty thousand percent. Here's my only knock: is that it's very similar to her performance in Big Little Lies. That's my only knock about Laura Dern's performance. I think Dern is, is phenomenal. I feel like she's kind of played that character not just before, but like last year. Listen, I think she's very good in the movie. Yes. If I yes. were ranking the performances in that movie, and I'm speaking totally honest from the heart, Adam Driver, Scarlett Johansson, 
Alan Alda. Alda above. Ray yeah. Liotta. Yeah. Laura Dern. Yeah, she, she's See, not okay. even, I would argue with Sean. Yeah, I would argue with Sean. She's not even the best lawyer in that movie. You want me to tell you something interesting? When I look back on Marriage Story, I don't think of Adam, Scarlett, any of those actors. The first thing that hits my mind is her speech about God and, and the Virgin but Mary. But that's been and so I, I, overblown. I, it's not even really like, it's, it's like a 30-second moment. Oh, first of all, okay. First of all, uh, you can give credit to Noah for the writing. Yes, it's all sure. his writing. Absolutely. It, but it's the it's the delivery of See, that monologue. And I think in my scene, opinion, I think the scene with her and Ray Liotta when they're going back and forth in the court, yes, finally yes. tearing into each other, that's more of an Oscar scene than than her speech. I thought that speech Leota. had a lot of hype going into it, and I I am with Jake in that it didn't have the same impact. I think she's great in the movie. Yeah, I'm not is. saying she's not, but she but looks now, like she's going to win that category, and I don't think she's the best performance in the film. So. This comes down to perspective, though, and this, I think this is something interesting. Um, when I sat down to watch Marriage Story, I had no idea this scene existed. Yeah, okay, yeah. so ma- imagine me, I'm in a theater, Marriage Story's about to start, the movie's on, I mean, Ryan Johnson was like sitting three seats in front of me because we live these insanely weird lives, um, and all of a sudden that scene hits. And it wasn't my mind going, that's an Oscar scene, it was my mind going, that is one of the best performances I've seen by an actor in a long time. Now, keep in mind what you both just said was the idea of the idea of it being hyped and overblown. If you saw that scene after everyone was talking about it, I could see that mindset being a piece of that thought process. But imagine seeing it without the hype. Yeah, that no, that that's hard. It's hard to judge it without the hype if you didn't know about it or did know about it. But my experience was not knowing, and it blew my mind. I thought it was an incredible. Uh, yeah, uh, but I mean, I, I knew I knew the hype behind Joaquin Phoenix's Joker performance, but I it was still blown away by that hype or no hype. But Joker was pretty divisive, though. There was a divisive nature of Joker that uh, it, there were people who loved it, people who hated it. Marriage stories were yeah, pretty universal. This is a topic for another day. But when did it become cool to hate Joker? Like, did that? Oh my I, God, like I, I just woke did. up. So I yeah. just I just did a video for this. It's going to be on Cinema Blend's YouTube page. Like, like I feel like I woke up one day and like was in the minority yeah. when the day before I was in the majority. Like majority. Like what? Like I'm not allowed to like Joker now. No, you can't. I have like never seen a movie that I thought was considered to be great. Though I will say it has a 69 percent of Rotten Tomatoes, which is actually super interesting. But. You think about a movie that was so well received. Right? I saw Jake smile. Um, but I do wonder. Um, your Jake's right, though. Yeah. Everyone's seen. I mean, if you looked at social media yesterday or any trending topics or any articles, people hated Todd Phillips for getting nominated for Best Director like, like it was his fault somehow. Um, and two, they hate Joker. They think it's I mean, I have seen so many people just trashing this film. And like, where did this come from? Where, where did it come from? I, have no idea. So, All right, I want to get to uh, one other category or another category, our next category. Uh, for this reason specifically, uh, Best Actress, Kevin, I think, was one of the loudest supporters of uh, Lupita Nyong'o uh, getting a, a nomination. And I know I was disappointed that she didn't get it. So, Kevin, I'll ask you, of the five that are here, uh, Charlize Theron for Bombshell, Renee Zellweger for Judy, Cynthia Erivo for Harriet, Scarlett Johansson for Marriage Story, Saoirse Ronan for Little Women, uh, do you put Lupita above all of them, uh, most of them? Where, where yeah. does she stand? Well, I mean, last year, Lupita Nyong'o delivered the best performance from any actor I had seen. Uh, and, that, and that goes across actor and actress for me personally. Uh, I just think that the performance was 
physically incredibly demanding. She played two roles. It was just a brilliant performance. But that movie just kind of fell off, unfortunately. It was my, my top five of the year. Uh, I am genuinely shocked. Now, no, am I shocked she didn't get nominated? No. I think we all had a fear that she wouldn't, right? I think we were all, I think there was a lot of talk about her not being in the conversation. No one was discussing her. Did she get a SAG nomination? I think she For did. us? I think, I think she, she did, too. Because that's did. what's interesting she, she to me. She didn't get Golden Globe. But she got a SAG, which like the question if she becomes, did. Like, because the actors nominate in the actor branch, you know, and it, right. it just makes me think, like, did they not watch? How how does an actor not watch that performance and recognize right. it? Right, right. That, that's what I'm tr- very it, curious about. Does the um, the release date and the fact that it's a horror film hurt it? And you can't come back with, well, what about Get no. Out? Because Get Out was such an anomaly and such it's a not, big breaking onto the scene for Jordan Peele. It's not Peele. the release date per se, because Universal pushed that. You know, like we got screeners. It was of a it divisive film. Sign. Uh, I, I mean, it could be. It's. It, it might be what Kevin's speaking to with comedy that it's also that for horror. Yeah. Yeah. Also, but I think that there was plenty of attention on Jordan's follow-up movie. Uh, it was well received, and at the time, everybody raved about her performance. So I don't know what happened, and it. And I I know um, that Focus has to be delighted that Cynthia Erivo got in for Harriet. But I dude, I haven't seen that movie. I don't know anybody who has seen that movie, to be honest with you. Um, I'm going to check it out. I have a screener of it. I just never got to it. And truthfully, I'm not that interested in getting to it. It just seems like one of those films that's going to feel like homework. And we get a couple of them every single year. And, you know, um, I'm trying to think of a, of a recent example. But for her to break through, that stunned me. <laughs> Because what, yeah. what makes me what what, what, what the only, Cynthia Erivo is genuinely an amazing actress. She's an amazing um, actress, yes. And and she was in. I mean, it honestly she should have gotten nominated for Widows. Bad times. Yeah, but Widow, Widows is Widows is such an interesting topic, and we'll, I think we, on another show we should. I think we should do a show uh, episode one time, maybe like a blend game where we talk about a movie that just didn't connect somehow, but it was great. Um, you know what I mean? Like, like True Romance, for example, made no money at all and no one really knows what it is, but it's such a brilliant film. And then you look at something like Widows or um, there, there are so many films that fall and I wonder why they fall. Like Widows was great. And you think of Cynthia Erivo, she was amazing. I don't love Bad Times at El Royale, but she's great in that movie. Uh, and I just think that, yeah, it is. She's a powerhouse, so I, I understand why she the got it. Nom- Lupita did get the SAG nomination, just yeah. to break in real fast. Did Cynthia get a SAG nomination? Mm, let me check all the other nominees. I went right to Us's page. Because that genuinely surprised me when they read Cynthia's name. I I, I don't remember her that being a part of Was that ever a, a big part of the oh, conversation for the Oscar I'm, race? I'm sorry. I stand corrected. Cynthia Revo got the SAG also. Well, then there we go. So, they, all right. Well, then you know what? It's funny. Maybe, maybe that was kind of a... Well, Let's then call I that suck. our big surprise. <laughs> Excuse me. I suck for not checking out Harriet. Apparently, I am well uh, behind the times in giving that movie the due, uh, moving its due. It's a great story. Uh, let me uh, shift over to the. Oh, this is controversial. My God. All right, everyone, strap in. The fifth director slot. <laughs> wow. Um, so oh, our text four, chain was lit yesterday. <laughs> the Woo! four that we uh, basically said were locks made it in, and that would be Scorsese, Tarantino, uh, Bong Joon-ho, and Sam Mendes. Those seem to be the four that were going to get in regardless, and then that fifth slot theoretically had a number of names that could have broken through. And then it's, you know, of course the the conflict becomes there were nine Best Picture nominations. There can only be five directors. So there's going to be some films uh, where the movie got into the best picture conversation, but the um, director does not. 
I would say that the loudest Which makes no sense, by the way. Well, right. It, it should correlate. Okay, Those, but then that should you correlate. Want, then do you so you think picture should be locked at five no matter what? Yes. Stop it. Picture should be locked at five. Because let's be honest, yeah. the other four, it's it seems like a like a also ran. Yeah, I agree with like, you. Like okay, Jojo like Rabbit. Ford versus Ferrari. Picture. Like like I love now, Ford, Ford versus Ferrari. No, I love Ford versus Ferrari, but the fact that Mangold isn't nominated for director means it doesn't even have a shot. And Jake's a great, great point yeah. there because yeah. Ford vs. Ferrari is a direct, a, a masterfully directed film. Because Such the, a directed it, film. It, think, about, think about that chemistry between Bale and Damon. That's what a director does. And that's why that film sings. And like the, the, the it's, it's, Ford vs. Ferrari is that beautiful blend of technical and emotion. It just hits every cylinder. No pun well, intended. It just, it's just so well done. In any other year, I'd be arguing that Ford vs. Ferrari is the most Academy film ever. You know, it's it, a great movie. It just it checks it all the boxes of a film that in yeah. any other year would be sweeping categories. And it's yeah. And so I was, yes, thrilled to see it get a Best Picture nomination. You know, I'm happy that that movie can always call itself a Best Picture nominee because I I love that film and it didn't make my top 10, but it was right there on the cusp the whole time. It's really well made. And you're exactly right. It's such a director driven project and Huge. it's got Mangold's yeah, fingerprints yeah. all over it. But right now we're looking at um, a bunch of people who are up for that that best director slot. It goes to Todd Phillips and uh, the Internet melts. And again, it speaks to like, what world are we living in where all of a sudden Todd Phillips, like like he made another due date movie or what What was the one right. he made with Robert Downey right. Jr. and Zach Allen? Yeah, 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 it's due date. Yeah. That called due date. Yeah. Um, <sighs> Planes, trains and automobiles, too. Like, okay, and so I understand, like, obviously we want, uh, there's a push for diversity, you know, and does Greta Gerwig deserve a Best Director nomination? Of course. You know, I think she was terrific. I think the but work she did for Little Women is terrific. In a year as good as 2019, yeah. the, the downside of having a year with so many great movies means that there are going to be a lot of people who deserve nominations who just don't get one. Exactly. And, and, and I'm, I'm sorry that Greta Gerwig, and Greta Gerwig, sure, was absolutely, like, Absolutely deserving to be nominated for Best Director. But at the end of the day, she also directed a movie that's been made four other times, which didn't right. help Bradley Cooper last year, who also was left off the Best Director list. Was he? I, yes. See, I, this is how important it is. I totally forgot. Right. Like, isn't that crazy that Bradley Cooper – didn't <laughs> Star is Born win one Oscar? That, that, didn't, that, that isn't is, Bradley Cooper a nominee this year? Isn't he a producer he on is. Joker? Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. Um, I, I okay, say one can thing we throw out the hot take real fast? We have to yeah. throw out the hot take. Can, can Kevin I say doesn't think. Gerwig? I was going to say, oh, yeah, please. Uh, just real fast. And then I know, I know what you're going to say, but uh, I put a lot of thought into this Greta Gerwig thing recently. Um, and if, you know, I, and I, I guess, Sean, you're going to get to a point where you're going to ask us who we would replace in that list. And um, I'm not sure if we've gotten there yet. But um, my, my point being, I was thinking about Greta Gerwig and what she did with Little Women. It's almost more impressive what she did, if you think about it, considering it's been done so many times, she still found a fresh way to do it. Yeah. Uh, and that nonlinear storytelling of it, you, you got to think about the role of a director, right? Greta That's a Gerwig's screenplay, role. right? She got a screenplay nomination. Yeah, yeah, but but on set, the director's job is really to tell your actors where you are in the movie, right? So if they're jumping back and forth between these seven years at a time, and she has to be able to talk to Saoirse and go, all right, you're seven years earlier here, but just a heads up, emotionally, you've already hit this arc. That's that's the job of a director. And you think about the emotions of that film and the nonlinear storytelling. I mean, that's not it the works. number one job of a director. I think, it, but, it, but it's but it's a big job for the director. I mean, like, okay, yeah, but okay, the, but but on the flip side of that, Spielberg directed E.T in chronological order does that like does he not get oh no 
I'm not saying um, that you have to direct the movie in non-linear or, or linear. That I'm saying you have to tell your actors where they are emotionally. And I felt when I watched Little Women that I was always succinct with, with where they were. And I think that's a lot to do with Greta Gerwig's direction. All, you know, and the, and the shooting on 35, I know it's her DP, but she still made that choice. Yeah, but all directors do that, do that because, that. because yeah. most directors shoot yeah. out of chronological order. Like, yeah, like yeah, all, but all I, I, think, I think what Kevin's also saying, too, is that the director is responsible for putting together the the ultimate cut, you know, like the right. in the editing room, assembling that story in a way that's going to touch an audience. And do you yeah. think Todd Phillips should be taken out in, in exchange for Greta Gerwig? I'll, I'll tell you what, who I should think, who uh, should be fine. taken out. I would have been fine with if that happened, but do you right. think it should happen? If you had the choice, if they, if the Academy came to you and said, Sean, if you want us to, we will take out Todd Phillips and put in Greta Gerwig. Would you no. say yes? No, I will not because Joker to me on my top 10 ranked higher than little women. There you go. There you no. go. I would and, remove okay. two of the directors and put two others in. Well, go ahead. Go ahead, Kevin. Uh, I think Sam Mendes and Bong Joon-ho. How do you take rem- out Mendes? Let him finish. You, rem- you remove them and you put Greta Gerwig in the safties. That's that, that. I think that is a better best. I want to establish. I just need to establish up front the, the ground rules of what's happening here. Kevin, <laughs> lo- Kevin likes 1917 a lot. Um, I do. But doesn't love it. Uh, Jake and I think 1917 is is terrific, and, mm. and we've been having a conversation uh, off off show in the other part of the show that happens when you guys don't happen to be listening about how 1917, uh, according to Jake and I, is exactly the type of movie that that should and does get Academy recognition. Kevin keeps comparing it to Green Book, and it's driving both of us up. Okay, first of all, I said the only comparison to Green Book was the idea that it's a. Okay, first of all, 1917 is a very good movie. I think it's. I think it's technically more impressive than it is emotionally. Also, I would rather watch a two-hour version of the movie being filmed than the movie itself. I think it's more impressive. That behind-the-scenes featurette is better than anything in the whole movie. Ah. Um, now, two, two things here. Um, I think that Sam Mendes is a brilliant filmmaker. Uh, American Beauty, everything he's done, Skyfall. I just don't think 1917 is that impressive emotionally. And I think, technically speaking, the film does work on a technical level. But as a director... I didn't. I don't remember the characters. I I have forgotten about the characters. I've forgotten about the story. All I keep hearing people say is how brilliant the cinematography is and how well it's shot. And to me, that is that is not the story. That is the tech side of the filmmaking. So, in my opinion, Sam Mendes. I think the Safties directed a much better emotional arc with. Adam. I think that Greta directed a much better emotional arc with her characters. Mendez's characters are not forget are not memorable. They're not. And that to me is a problem. That's my issue with the movie. Okay, excellent. My transition into the very next point. Kevin, right now, what wins best picture? 1917. <laughs> no. I think we split. I think we get a split. I think Hollywood wins picture and Mendez wins director. Okay. See, if that happens, honestly, with with Hollywood winning at the Critics' Choice and the Comedy Musical Award at the Globes, I'm starting to feel slightly better. Because 1917, the only reason why Green Book comes into this, and Sean, I, I, you have to give me 30 seconds to at least say why I mentioned Green Book. Go Green ahead, Book, it, it, Green Book was a very good movie that won Best Picture last year, because, in my opinion, because of preferential ballot. It was probably the most... Equally liked film out of everybody among the Academy. I think 1917 is a perfect 
crowd-pleasing type movie that falls into that same category where everyone equally likes it. I'm not saying it's on Green Book's level. Green Book obviously is not technically as masterful as something like 1917. I compare 1917 to something like Avatar. I think Avatar was a mind-blowing technical concept that came out and blew everyone's minds, but no one cared about the story. I'm not saying people don't care about 1917 story, but to me, when I walked away from 17, it was just like walking away from Avatar. Cool visually, but I just didn't care about the characters. Jakey, what wins best picture? I think Hollywood <laughs> wins picture and Mendez wins director. I think we, um, I think we see a split. I would honestly, if that happens, I will be very happy because then if Quentin gets screenplay and he gets picture, I would. Ra- we just let me ask you: Would you rather yeah. if if yeah. 1917 were going to win one and and Hollywood were going to win the other? How would you like it to go with director and picture? I would rather Quentin Tarantino. Now, see, I, here, here's the thing. I think best picture. I think best picture comes with a very special weight, and when you award a film best picture, it is a it's saying something. And while Green Book won best picture last year, and no one's talking about it, it still said something that it won. Um, so I would rather see Hollywood win picture and Mendez take director if he has to over over Quentin. I would rather see Bong Joon-ho take director over Sam Mendez, um, personally. So I, I have no idea what's going to happen, but I do think that the best picture this year is going to go to 17. It, it, it's, the, it's the one that just fits that perfect middle-of-the-road uh, vibe for all the members, in my opinion. Sean, what do you think? I think that Hollywood's going to win picture. I, I think Bong Joon-ho is going to win director. I think I think people love Parasite. They do. He's going to win, I think. And and I don't think that they're ready yet to give a film best foreign language and picture. And it's definitely going to win best foreign language. Mm-hmm. But I, like a Roma, I see a Roma situation where yeah. Alfonso got recognized in director uh, and Bong Joon-ho will get recognized in director. Um, and then Hollywood will win for picture because A, it's um, a movie about the industry. We know they love. They love. Um, I do feel that there is uh, a pressure in the industry from people because this, we know that it's politics. Like there's a lot of politics involved in, in the voting. And I yeah. do think that they right now see that Quentin Tarantino, a director that they um, respect, uh, might only do one more film. Mm. And, oh, and, that, and that film is no slam dunk to be um, universally praised, you know, or like it could be a hardcore one direction where Tarantino fanatics love it, but the rest of the industry is like, is. didn't work. But this one right now, he's got it. Like it's there. It's there. People love it. It's got great performances, you know, honor him now and, and give him the best picture. But I, I'm, I'm torn with both of you that I don't know. I couldn't tell you right now, which one Tarantino would prefer. <laughs> would he rather call himself a, an Oscar winning director or would he rather have a film that wins picture? I don't really know. I don't really. I think Tarantino would say he'd rather have an Oscar winning best picture and then the screenplay award. I really I really do. And like Sean wrote a great article recently, um, which you can go on Cinema Blend to read about the historical significance of what Quentin would achieve Oscar night if it happens. And he would then tie Woody Allen for the I think the three winning screenplays, original screenplays. And he would have done it in a shorter period of time. And Sean wrote a great article about it. Much but it is. But he, but in your article, you do say that he seems to be more focused or seems to be more importance on screenplay like that. Yeah. That seems more important to him. And I think that I, I don't know. I, I think this year is interesting. I think I do want to ask both of you a very interesting question. I want you to be very honest with me. How many times have you seen 1917? Three. 
Three. Okay. Three. Three times. Three or, three or four. Three. And you you walk away thinking about those characters. I yeah. haven't thought about them once since I saw it. Once. Well, Not and that. I'll say the first time through, I focused on the technical aspect. The second time through, I was more dialed into their into their story. Yeah, and I am in the like extreme that, minority. His last scene. Yeah. When he realizes, not to get into spoilers, when he realizes he has to run, like I'm getting chills just talk, like that. It to me is one of the most powerful scenes of last year. Like, like then where just, is his Oscar nomination for best actor? Where I mean, you can't do that. I mean, then, then I mean, like Tough you question. can't you can't discount someone's performance because they didn't get an Oscar nomination because then I'll no, just turn no, around and do that without saying one of the most powerful scenes of the year. That's what I'm saying. Like, like, like performance. Yeah, but like, but there there were a lot of. Wise. I mean, that's a, that's that's an, like an obtuse uh, argument. Like, there are a lot of great performances that didn't get Oscar nominations. Doesn't I'll mean they didn't have the, great I'll scenes. Say the first time through, I was really caught up with how is he going to continue the shot? How is he going to like as as major things happened? I, I I will admit that the shot, the unbroken shot, distracted me from it. Second time yeah. through, I was all in on the emotion. But we also, but, we forget that we are not the average moviegoer. We recognize that kind of stuff a lot more. I talk to people at work, and they go, oh, yeah, the whole shot thing was really cool, but, like, oh, my God, yeah. what a film. Like, we we yep. pay attention to that but, stuff a lot more. And just because we followed it doesn't mean that it's lacking in anything else. It just means that we know it a little bit more than everyone else does. Here's what's bothering me about 1917, and we'll, then we'll move on. 1917 is being hailed, and I said this earlier, as more of a technical achievement than anything else. If you look at Twitter, if you look at social media, if you look at the way people are reacting to the movie, they're talking about the so cinematography. Was Hold on, and not the characters. Um, Gravity had great characters and very memorable characters, in my opinion. Um, but that being said, 1917 has been done before, and people are acting like 1917 is new. The, the one this this one shot concept has actually been done as one shot in films like Russian Ark and Victoria. Go back to 48 with Rope when he was stitching shots together behind Jimmy Stewart's black jacket. You would give his Birdman. director position to Greta Gerwig, who made a movie that's been made four other times. So, no, you're you know, you're ta- I'm talking about the technical aspects of 1917. Nothing in 1917 nothing, has but, not but been but done not before. But not to the degree that they did it in 1917. But degree, Birdman did it three years ago with in, better in characters. In the back of a stage, not across. No, like, no. Like, like, he was not, going not, through not, New not York. Europe. Are you kidding me? He's flying out of a window in one scene. Birdman is all over the place. Dude, Just you it's have a tight to understand space. that Birdman was Dude. technically easier than 1917. Sean, back no, it up. was not. Yes, it Bird- absolutely was. Oh, now, we are talking about like, the physicalities of building these sets. Sure, yes, hey, it's outside Gabe, and it's exteriors. I get it. Gabe, should I drop in the uh, uh, Chivo versus Deacon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I'm kidding. I'm Don't, kidding. I'm not, kidding today. I'm not today. Not today, sir. Episode. They're both no, amazing cinematographers. Chivo versus Deacon Wait, is a whole. Let episode. me ask you a question. We gotta go. We go. We gotta go. Jake and no, Sean, we're... answer me yes or no. Is 1917 the best movie of 2019? Tell no. me that question. No. Okay. No, we're ne- we never. never said that. No one what, said that. What, what, what right, does that question even mean? Last minute hot takes. Jake, you wanted to mention uh, John Williams. Yeah, I just feel like, I don't know, everyone's been sleeping on this, but I feel like a man who received his 52nd Oscar nomination deserves to get a shout out. So, yeah, it's just that John Williams got his 52nd Oscar nomination for a little film called Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. Um, He is the most nominated living person. Uh, He's only second to Walt Disney. And I don't know. I just feel like, you know, we're talking about, you know, this person getting, you know, Scarlett Johansson got two nominations in one year. And it's like, okay, that's cute. John Williams got his 52nd nomination. I just feel like that. that, that, I feel like we should never sleep on that, even if he gets nominated every year. I also want to point when he got his nomination, I thought, oh, wait, hold on. That category might have just blown up because 
I could see the nostalgia aspect of him doing his last Star Wars one, powering him through. Because otherwise, it was going to be the girl from Joker, whose name I yeah, Hilda. 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 Um, Hilda's going to win. That's her last name. Yeah, uh, uh, I thought so too because she's won almost everything up to this point. And then when I saw John Williams' name get dropped, I thought, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, Kevin, you got one hot take. Uh, one hot take from I'll the Oscar t- nominee. I'll tell you. I'm actually going to use my hot take to tell you a quick little story about Hilda. Um, oh. I was uh, at the Critics Choice Awards. I was at the uh, Joker table. Uh, thank, thank, thank you to Warner Brothers for putting me there. So I was there with Joaquin Phoenix. Lawrence Shear, the cinematographer, Todd Phillips, and then Hilder. And we're at this moment in the show where they're giving away awards off air. And two of two of my seatmates, Lawrence Shear and Hilder, are both in those off air things. Hilder wins. And they just tell her that on a TV screen. I watched her learn she won huh. by looking at a TV screen. And so while I'm there and Joaquin Phoenix wins, right? right. I'm, it's the first award of the night. And I'm just sitting right across from the guy. And it was just surreal. And he remembered our podcast. I shook his hand. I was like, you were on our show. He goes, I remember. Yeah, it was great. You know, he was really cool about it in, in, in his own Joaquin Phoenix type of way. Um, so I just wanted to mention to any new listeners we have on our show, if you haven't gone back Check out our Joaquin Phoenix interview. It was 35 minutes and our Todd Phillips interview for Joker. Um, these are interviews we did earlier, la- uh, later last year. But you, if you're new, you might not have heard them. Go back because they're really cool. And Phoenix was so great to us. And we just want to say thank you again to Warner Brothers for allowing us to have that time with them. You know, my hot take uh, and then we'll move on is the best supporting actor category. Because mother of God, oh. that murderer's row of talent is just I mean, I, in what given year have you seen? No, well, you won't see Pesci. You know, yeah. how often is he yeah. Pesci? How often is he Pacino? Yeah, Pacino I, I, I uh, put forward the question: Is this the greatest or the most stacked acting category ever? Because I think it absolutely. I mean, Pitt, Pacino, um, Pesci, Hopkins, and Hanks. Hanks. Yeah, and one person said that, and I didn't. I did not know this. Best actor in 1973: John Lemon, Al Pacino, Marlon Brando, Jack Nicholson, Robert Redford. <laughs> that's that's a pretty damn stacked category wow. too. But I'd say yeah. this year's supporting actor is neck and neck. That's, it's right there. Amazing. It's right there. Yeah. That's amazing. And uh, like, yeah, we and might see a category like that once in our lifetime. These categories are locked, right? These four. They're the well, actors. Well, I think are so. Locked, yeah, and that's right? what I was gonna say. Like to that end, it, Brad Pitt looks like he's gonna win it, and I think Brad Pitt deserves it. And and we have said this before. Yeah. He deserves an Oscar uh, as an actor. You know, he has one for support uh, for producing in 12 Years a Slave, but he's finally going to get one for directing. And I'm equally thrilled that he's going to get one for uh, being directed by Quentin Tarantino. I think that's guys, is, Iri- is Irishman slipping? I mean, Irishman's kind of is Irishman going to be like Stars Born and not win anything? Remember, Scorsese already has a movie that went 0 for 10 at the Oscars. Gangs of New York Which, went 0 for 10. Did it really? Yeah. Gangs of New York. Everyone thought that Daniel Day-Lewis was going to win for Bill the Butcher, but that's the year Adrian Brody won. Um, so it's, oh, yeah. Oh, so he, God, he could, go he back could, to that travesty. Yeah. So what? he could have two movies that go 0 for 10. If they win one, what would they win? Uh, a screenplay. Screenplay. Adapted screenplay? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That screenplay is fantastic. I want to, I, I want to give recognition to that yeah. screenplay because it's brilliant. I, I've pointed this out when I reviewed it. I know Irish was my number one. There's three frame stories that are being juggled in that screenplay. And and he lands all three of them beautifully. I'm with Stream you. If that one adapted, I'd be with you. Let me ask you: of the four acting categories, which one has the most potential for an upset? Uh, 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 maybe Laura Dern. I think actress. I think, I think Joaquin's a lock. 
Yeah, actress could get upset. Yeah. I mean, you it know feels why? Like, feels like Renee has, Close. has the momentum, but who? Glenn Close. Remember what happened with Glenn Close? Yeah. True. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. She that's, that's why I, I always, I always get nervous whenever, like you know, a month out, we're saying, "Oh, the four acting categories are locked," because they're yeah. very rarely truly locked. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I would be very fascinated to see. It, okay, all right. If Renee Zellweger doesn't win, who takes it? Charlie Theron or Scarlett Johansson? Scarlett. I'd say Scarlett from Marriage Story. I think yeah. Scarlett from Marriage Story. Yeah. Does Driver have a chance anymore? Is Phoenix locked? I think Phoenix is locked. I think Phoenix is locked. I'm happy that Phoenix is yeah, locked. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't mean to say me... that. I don't mean to sound. You know, I'm I I very much am yeah. okay living in a world. And also, we now have two characters that have both uh, that two different actors have one for playing. Well, listen, hasn't happened yet. So was Nicholson, Nicholson nominated for Batman? No, I don't Who? think Nicholson got nominated. Nicholson wasn't nominated for Batman, so. was he? No, oh, I don't, I don't know. know. That's a good you, question. You for no, Joker? I mean, okay. I, mean, come on. I mean, let's. Oh, look, he's great in that movie, but he's Jack Nicholson. Yeah. Yeah, I know, but I'm just curious. All right, this week in movies. Uh, did either of you see Doolittle? I have not. Uh, when when no. Eddie Murphy. <laughs> you know what's you know what's you know what's funny. Uh, you know what's funny, Sean. Uh, when it comes to this week in movies, you can say that we always do little and not see any of these. <laughs> we always do very little and not see these. I guess we've good. been bad boys in a yeah. well in a few hours <laughs> for life. <laughs> uh, I know Kevin and I are both seeing. Are you seeing it tonight too, Jake? I have to go see the Tyler Perry movie. Oh, it's screening. They're screening at the same time. I know because Tyler Perry's coming to Chicago tomorrow. I'm interviewing him. So I've got to go see that. I have to skip Bad Boys and go see the Tyler Perry movie. All right. Tyler so, Perry would tell you to go to Bad Boys. Yes, yeah. he would. <laughs> <laughs> he would. He uh, would. Because it's <laughs> Kevin, we can react on social tonight. So once you guys have listened to listen to this episode, listened, uh, go to our social media and Kevin and I will post what our reactions to Bad Boys for Life are because we're going to go see it in a few hours. Yes. Can I just point out that I'm recording this in L.A. and I'm sitting right on top of where they're doing the premiere tonight. So I'm looking out this window and I can see the Bad Boys for Life uh, red carpet. Um, Sean and I are gigantic. I think Jake is too. We're gigantic buddy cop movie fans. But yes. Bad Boys 2 is one of my all-time favorite films. Like I've seen it over and over and over and more. My wife gets, Lauren gets so mad. I watch it all the time. Um, and so I am super excited, but I'm also super hesitant because Bay is not involved. Are, where are you right now, Sean? Are you, are you, I'm kind of getting a I'm little, home. Like, I'm in Charlotte. Excited. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, I meant like, where are you mentally on bad boys? I'm excited about it, man. I saw a bunch of people tweet that it's good. Um, yeah. Early New York reactions said that it's good, and so I'm starting to swing back around to uh, uh, hopeful. I'm starting to swing back around to hopeful. So, all right, uh, we will have reactions up on our social media pages. You guys can see what the two of us thought about Bad Boys. Uh, this week's blend game is hashtag Scene Blend, and when we announced it uh, during the live show, the 100 show, we mentioned that the parameters were pretty loose. If you could defend uh, the definition of a scene then you could go ahead with it. Uh, it could be as long or as short as you needed it to be. Uh, that might lead to some debate. If someone mentions a scene and the other two guys say, nope, that is not a scene, uh, then we'll get into a little bit more discussion about it. But uh, And we had amazing uh, interplay with people on social media sharing their favorite scenes. People were all over the place, which was fantastic. Uh, Jake, I'm told you get to go first. My scene is, it's one of those cases, I feel like we say this a lot, where it was the first thing that popped up my head whenever uh, we initially talked about doing this. And then I thought, okay, let me put that off to reserve. Let me put it off to the side and think about other scenes. And then I, but it's honestly probably the scene that I have most 
randomly throughout the day, stopped what I was doing and just found it on YouTube and just watched it from start to finish. And it is the uh, rainy T-Rex paddock breakout from Woo. Jurassic Park. Oh, ah, yeah. That's a good one. I mean, from them pulling awesome. up and the car stopping, the the water in the cup and the plastic cup vibrating to signify the goat going missing the <laughs> first time you see the T-Rex. And let's just talk about the practicality, and I know Kevin's 100% with me on that. The practicality of the T-Rex. Stan, Lee, Stan those Winston, animatron- the Stan, those Stan Winston animatronics, it looks like a freaking T-Rex is yep. there. When the T-Rex crashes through the top of the car onto the kids, when the T-Rex, when his snout blows the hat off of Alan Grant, when yep. his pupils dilate because he looks in the window and the and the and the um the flashlight gets into his eyes. Oh. It's just perfectly tense. The rain is gorgeous. And I think the rain probably helps probably hide the fact that maybe even the CGI, I mean it's 25 years old. The CGI has probably aged a little, but the rain kind of think helps hide that. Yeah. All the the kids' performances are great. The tension, the action, everything. It's beautifully directed. It's one of the probably Spielberg's top five um, sequences of direction. It's just absolutely frame for frame, absolutely gorgeous. That shot when his when his foot presses down into the mud. It's yeah. when when uh, it's just everything about uh, it. I like when he bites the tire. I don't know why yeah, I like when that. When he's, he's like pulling the, the tire, tire like a dog. Oh my god! And what's amazing is that it's yeah, it's almost instantly followed by two other amazing sequences when they're trying to climb down the tree, and then when the T Rex chases Laura Dern and Jeff Goldblum in the Jeep while they're like trying to drive away. Those are yeah. also two amazing sequences. So the fact that it's not that and then dies down for half an hour, it's that and then has two more beats. But I and just, then the wit, the mirror. The objects are yeah, closer. closer than they mean, Everything about that is just brilliant. Yeah. So that is that is my favorite, 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 favorite scene of all time. I get excited just talking about it. Do you remember where you were the first time you saw it? I do. My parents took me to go see it. I had to have been honestly. I was five, and I remember it. My grandma uh, said, "Sit next to me because you're going to get scared," and she screamed. The she tells the story, but I specifically remember when the Dilophosaurus goes after Newman. She screamed and went, mm. "Newman!" Newman, because <laughs> she was a big Seinfeld fan. But, uh, but I remember just lo- I mean, and and you know when you're when you're five or six years old, that's when yeah. you're really that's when you love dinosaurs, right? I mean, that's when dinosaurs are the coolest. So to have that movie come out when I was a child, I was so mm. fortunate because I was so into dinosaurs. Oh God, I love it. Absolutely love it. All right, I get to go next, and I'm going to very just very briefly mention two scenes that didn't make the cut for me. Ooh, ooh, uh, ooh, ooh. Few, few good men courtroom scene. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, and the diehard rooftop jump. Yep, um, yep. Oh, two, wow. Two perfection scenes for me. Where are you going with this? Uh, the Back to the Future clock tower scene. Oh, oh great pick. Great pick. The Back pick. to the Future clock tower scene is incredible oh. to me. Um, da, da, because... Da, 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 da. Every time I watch it, I'm convinced he won't make it. Um, and I mean, <laughs> there's no way he can't. <laughs> I'm with, Sean, I'm with you on that. I actually have that same feeling when I watched that scene. I'm like, is he actually going to make it this time? It's incredibly well edited to the point where I am. But the thing, but the, and I, I'll go beyond the, the most obvious, how beautifully edited together it is. And how Zemeckis, even in the moment, like knows, to, like you can go far enough in that scene where it would take you out of it, where you'd be like, oh, all right, fine. And it's not, you know, too much, too much. But like, 
you know, Doc plugs it in and then the tree branch falls and it disconnects at the bottom. And then he's like, he's got to get down to the bottom and replug it back in. You can only throw so many of those obstacles. But then like, and so the first time you watch that movie, it's thrilling and you're on the edge of your seat and is he going to make it? But then when you go back and start to put together that script and you realize that like they tease the clock tower, you know, at the beginning with the girl, uh, the woman who's trying to get him to volunteer and that's, she gives them the flyer. Like just knowing you need to do that earlier on in your script so that Jennifer can write her number on the back of it so that Marty can have it when he gets to the past, you know? And, yeah. and then when the doc is like, Oh, the only thing that would do that is a bolt of lightning. And you don't even make the connection that right. Until he's like, Oh, we do know when one's going to hit. And then the rest of the movie is like structured to get you to that point and all the little obstacles that are going to prevent it from getting there. That again, the, the, the highest compliment I can play to, pay to that scene is that even though it's, it's completely on film and done, I watch it a million times because it's one of those movies that the minute it's on, I throw the remote control. Doesn't matter where it is. And when I get to that scene, I'm convinced he's not going to make it. He stops long enough to write the note. He, the car doesn't start right away. He's got a headbutt it to get it going. And just the way that it is beautifully edited uh, makes that my one of my uh, that is my favorite scene of all time. I'm Great pick. That my favorite Great scene. pick. Great oh, pick. I love that scene. Kevin. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it's funny because like my scene is so uh, much darker and more dialogue heavy. Um, <laughs> it's funny because like I was thinking about a lot of these like when you guys were mentioning your scenes, I was if I, if I was going down a path of like a maybe like a blockbuster type fun moment. I was thinking, I don't know, I was thinking about Squints and Sandlot when he fake drowns himself so he can get kissed by Wendy <laughs> Peppercorn. <laughs> like, those are like scenes that hit me as a kid. Um, but I also had two other scenes that were in that in this realm. But I went uh, kind of like what Jake said. What's the first scene that came to my head when I thought about scene blend? Uh, the other two that didn't make the cut but were right there were Heat with De Niro Pacino um, at the diner which is arguably just one of the greatest scenes ever. And then Jane Silent Bob's right back, Good Will Hunting 2, Hunting Season. But that's just me because I'm a <laughs> fan of Kevin Smith. Um, all right, I went with True Romance, Walking Hopper. Yes. Uh, and I'm going to preface this only because the dialogue in that scene is is very brutal. Um, but um, So I'm coming at this from a, a filmmaking standpoint, what I like about the scene itself. I'm, again, I'm not condoning what's said in the scene, obviously, but it's the setting of the scene. Um, it's, it's, it's the perfect intersection of dialogue meets direction meets acting. You have these two heavy hitters across from each other, walking and hopper, spouting dialogue, and that dialogue... That dialogue that they're spouting in that scene is just as intense as any action movie I have ever seen. You're talking about a scene where two guys are fighting with words. Yeah, literally oh, what a great, way, what a great way of putting it. You're right. And, that, and that's why I like the heat scene so much, too, because it, it's two guys basically discussing how they're going to kill each other over a cup of coffee, but being polite about it. And like there's something special about that. So you go to True Romance. And you, the weight of that scene. So Clarence, uh, uh, you know, Christian Slater's character has just left the house. Hopper's his father. Hopper knows that his son's gone to California with, with, with this suitcase full of drugs. And then the mob comes in, Walken's character. Uh, and just the, the line when he says, do you know who I am? And he goes, I am the Antichrist. <laughs> you go tell the angels in heaven you've never seen evil so singularly personified as you did in the face of the man who killed you. My name is Vincent Cacati. I work for Blue Loop Oil. I, I, this is all off the top of my head. I just, I just, the delivery of Walken's line. And then when the film, when the scene turns, there's a moment in that scene where Dennis Hopper genuinely realizes he's going to die, whatever he says. 
and you see the facial. It's almost like that facial expression moment in in Breaking Bad when when uh, when Walter goes from Heis- Walter White to Heisenberg as he lets um, Aaron Paul's uh, girlfriend die. Um, and so you think about that moment, and I love watching that scene. You look at Hopper's face, and you go. Oh, he's just going to use this moment to <laughs> dig into this guy. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like he he's like, I'm going to say the most messed up thing I could possibly think about. I'm already going to die. And I might as well. He, he wants to go out by making this guy mad. Basically, um, the sound effect of the Chesterfield cigarette <laughs> in his mouth as uh, Hopper pulls that cigarette in that, that that crunchy sound, the way Tony Scott directs that scene. I mean, it's Quentin's dialogue. I would love to see what Quentin would have done with it. And then Gandolfini, right, standing right behind Hopper and pulling up that hand and slicing it open and then giving him a rag. It was like it was like this weird thing. Like they were like they were hospitable about cutting his hand open. They were like, oh, we're going to give you a rag and help you clean it off with some alcohol. I'm like, who does that? It was, it was just really well detailed and oriented. Um, just the script, the dialogue, it just flows. But it's really more about the intensity of the moment. It's more about the turn. It's more about these two heavy hitters going at each other with just insanely brutal dialogue. Um, and it just, it, it, to me, that scene, that's the first time I ever saw a scene where I was like, like, that's one of the, that is the greatest scene I've ever seen put to film not content wise, just the way it's done, the way it's written, the way it's delivered well, and just the weight of the moment. That's why and, I love that scene. And all of our scenes uh, are woven into the fabric of the movies that are being told, which I find really mm-hmm. interesting because a lot of times, you know, and, and when you learn about this with the behind the scenes stuff where a production will be like, we got to do this scene, uh, you know, and I don't care how you fit mm-hmm. it in, but but make it work. It's got to work this way. Right. And right. a lot of times they're so clumsy, you know, because you you know the buildup to get to it wasn't natural, or it just, it's a great blockbuster tentpole moment, but everything around it sort of falls apart. And that's why you guys check out, uh, and I'm just gonna briefly recommend this, and then I'll go to the audience pick. So many people kept saying to me that that show on Netflix, uh, movies that made us, they did one yeah. for uh, yeah. Dirty Dancing and Ghostbusters, and they did one for Die Hard. Die Hard. And I watched it, cool. and everyone who's listening to this knows that Die Hard is my favorite movie of all time. Um, I learned so second, much about that second movie. Favorite movie. Second favorite movie. Oh, second favorite movie. <laughs> yes. Endgame. Sorry, Dang, Endgame. Used to that. Sorry, Endgame, right over my, my shoulder here. Uh, <laughs> it was amazing how much of that movie was written on the fly and that, you know, they were reacting to things that were that were going wrong or or not working. And they were in the that Fox building was an actual working building at the time. Yeah. So they couldn't do things at night. They couldn't do any gunfire scenes until after 5 p.m. Because there were mm. lawyers working in the building, essentially. <laughs> and the mandate they were given by the uh, director, uh, no, by the producer, Joel Silver, uh, at the beginning was, yeah, I don't care what you guys do, but the rooftop has to blow up. Like, I want to see the rooftop blow up. So they had to literally write to that moment, essentially. And then they got to the moment where they blew up the rooftop and they figured out how to do it. And then someone was like, OK, but um, I don't know if you guys remember McLean's up there. <laughs> and they were like, ah, oh, yeah, how do we do that? And they've come up with a way to jump off the thing. So sometimes it can work and you get yourself out of those moments. But I think the scenes that we all brought up and that the audience has brought up, too, they're part of the story. You know, they're they're significant to the way that the story is flowing. And that that fascinates me. Um, audience picks uh, Bruno said the basement scene in Bastards. I saw a lot of people do oh. said they said the opening scene of Bastards. Yeah, I would say I would I would pick the opening scene. Yeah, but the basement well, scene's great too. Uh Amanda yeah. 0101 said the no man's land scene from Wonder Woman. Yeah. Uh, yeah. let's see. Made me ugly cry in the theater. I never knew how much yeah. I needed a female superhero movie like this until I saw it. That's very nice. Wow. 
Shelby Jones, who actually came to our DC meetup and said hello to all of us. Hi, Shelby. Uh, said Shelby. the throne room scene in The Last Jedi. Now, listen, I know you two hate The Last Jedi. Throne That's room scene, scene is pretty spectacular. That's a really good yeah, scene. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. Uh, John Hanlon, who I got to see at Critics' Choice, hung out with me backstage for a little while, uh, said the Normandy scene in Saving Private Ryan. Hard to argue. Mm, yeah. uh, Rachel Ho chose Dumb and Dumber when the cop rides up next to the dog fan. <laughs> Been doing she, a little little boozing, have you? She shared oh, man. the scene. I was hoping for a little bathroom blend, uh, 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 a little sneaking in there a little bit, but they didn't. They didn't go with that scene. Uh, there was so much participation. You guys had amazing suggestions this week with scene blend. I hope you guys enjoyed our conversations and the movies that we decided to share next week. I'm pretty excited for this one. You all can follow along on uh, Twitter. Play along with us. We are playing, and it's gonna be tough. You're gonna have to Google how to spell this. Hashtag Matthew McConaughey blend. Uh, we're going to celebrate the talent of Matthew McConaughey. And I think that he gets overlooked as a performer uh, a lot of times because he did go through a spell where he did a lot of these romantic comedies that kind of fell on their faces, but he's made some amazing films over the years. So hashtag Matthew McConaughey blend that is tied to the gentleman, the new guy, Richie film. And the guy will be, the guys will be able to talk about that film, I think next week. So, uh, yes, Kevin, I am going to full circle back to, um, a one sentence hot take. Uh, that you asked me earlier what my hot take on the Oscars was. Yes. And this is going to this is gonna be um, a debatable thing we can get into later. You're going to bring up take something s- that we're going to want to yell at you for, no. and then the show has to be over? Take Sam Mendes out, put Jordan Peele in for us. Dude. Dude. Um, Come I, on, I, I, tru- I truly believe that. I can understand why Kevin would say that. Let's I truly believe that. Let's on a different show. Uh, we have a review <laughs> from Nurse Katie 22 uh, who uh, subject line for her review this week says, where do I even begin? Which could go one way or the other, right? It could be very positive or extremely negative. And she says, okay, guys, I just have to say thank you. I am movie obsessed. And when I first started seeing Kevin's interviews on social media years ago, I thought, finally, someone who gets it. He didn't just ask all the, how'd you get so shredded for this movie? Or what was the biggest jokester on set? Kevin, you need to start asking that more often. Who's the <laughs> biggest jokester? What attracted you to this role? Please do. Tell me why you got so shredded and... <laughs> Ask Martin Lawrence why he got so shredded for Bad Boys. <laughs> I love that Martin went after himself for that. Will's like, it's been 23 years since the first one. And Martin Lawrence goes, look at me, man. I'm so overweight. This is 23 years. <laughs> is that in the movie? Uh, no, they did it in an interview package before. They, oh, that's funny. I just that's saw that this that morning. Because you did. I went and looked at a clip of him from the first Bad Boys movie, and he is real thin. <laughs> They're it's, both tiny in that one. They're they like, really even are. Will Smith looks super skinny in that one. All right. So back to the nurse, Katie 22. Uh, let's see. Kevin would ask the questions about the making of a movie and specific things about the characters. And I was absolutely hooked. I love everyone on the podcast, but I wanted to shout out Kevin because he's the one who got me in the first place. I know literally no one personally who loves cinema like I do. And when you guys nerd out and or get emotional over cinema related things, I feel that. Everyone in my life has always thought movies are quote-unquote nice, but not something to make a career out of, which is why I'm just now trying to get into it any way I can. I love that you're all friends and that you all identify with each other when it comes to movies because I don't have that, and I can only imagine what that bond must be like. Well, let me tell you, Nurse Katie, sometimes it's exhausting. (laughs) Sometimes you get 198 text messages because you left your phone in your car while your son was playing a basketball game. (laughs) 
You love it. Uh, thank you all for everything that you do for your blenders and don't ever stop. Sincerely, your friendly neighborhood ICU nurse. That's awesome. Oh, wow. That, that is a great, awesome. That's a great review. That thank you, Nurse Katie. That's a great Katie. review. Yes. You, Sean, you have. Sean secretly uh, loves 198 texts oh, coming really, back. You do. I do. I'm you disappointed. Do. The OCD in me wanted to get to 200 before I looked at it. <laughs> uh, and I hope that Katie finds uh, a community in the blenders because truthfully, it, it, the takeaway from our DC meetup was just how amazing our listeners are. And it was really cool to look around the room. And I noticed this at the Chicago one. And I was hoping we would see this in DC. And then it, it happened is that we were going around the room talking to, trying to, as many, trying to talk to as many different people as we could. But when we couldn't get to everybody, everyone else sort of bonded up together. Yeah. Like there were groups from all different cities that just got together and talked. And that's what I think is so special about the people who listen to our show is that you're coming at it with such a passion and you come to a meetup, like some of these, these group things that we get to do and you find people who are like-minded with you. You know, it's, it's like the, the four of us essentially, uh, but yeah. you know, in, in another form. So hopefully we'll get to do more of those in uh, 2020 and keep the feedback coming. So uh, we're wrapping up for the week. You guys can obviously follow us on social media. I mentioned the real blend social media account. You can go to Jake's takes Kevin McCarthy TV or Sean underscore O'Connell. Uh, drop us a review like Nurse Katie did, and I will read it here on the show. It means an awful lot to you guys as you help us grow this platform out. We will be back next week where we're going to be talking about uh, probably Bad Boys for Life in more detail. Uh, we will play hashtag Matthew McConaughey blend and all the other exciting news uh, coming to, uh, I don't know, I was going to say coming to theaters. No, news doesn't come to theaters. It comes to the show. Uh, let's get out of here. I'm sorry. This is horrible. This is how we end uh, the first show. No. It's not even the first show of 2020. Sean. I am way off track. Sean. Jake closes for me. I can't do it. I can't do it. People flip out if people flip out if I do it. Okay. Three, two, one. Tenet. Dunkirk. <laughs> can we can we move on? Jesus, he has another movie coming out. No. No, yeah, we should always for, be Dunkirk. For 2020, we should Why? say Tenet. No? <laughs> All right, Dunkirk. Dunkirk is our is our thing, man. Until he says it. Until he says it. If no, if, all right, all right. If no one says it on our show, yeah, we'll stop saying it. Okay. Do I enough. get to pick the next movie? Yeah, you do. Yes. I'm saying that now. 1970. Right. And got then we got to get the director of that movie to come on and say it. So be realistic. Psycho. What, what if we did like a long one? Like, don't be a menace to South Central while drinking your juice in the hood. <laughs> Birds of Every prey week. and the fantabulous emancipation of Harley Quinn. <laughs> Longest title with the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. The Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. Us. That's it. That's it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was fun. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.